The reading tonight is from the book of Habakkuk, which can be found on page 940 in your church Bibles. It's Habakkuk chapter 1 to chapter 2, verse 1. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet received. Habakkuk's complaint. How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore the law is paralysed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. The Lord's answer. Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if you were told. I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwelling places not their own. They are a feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves and to promote their own honour. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallops headlong, their horsemen come from afar. They fly like a vulture swooping to devour. They all come bent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. They deride kings and scoff at rulers. They laugh at all fortified cities. They build earthen ramps and capture them. Then they sweep past like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own strength is their God. Habakkuk's second complaint. O Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, we will not die. O Lord, you have appointed them to execute judgment. O Rock, you have ordained them to punish. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? You have made men like fish in the sea, like sea creatures that have no ruler. The wicked foe pulls all of them up with hooks. He catches them in his net. He gathers them up in his dragnet, and so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and burns incense to his dragnet. For by his net, he lives in luxury and enjoys the choicest food. Is he to keep on emptying his net, destroying nations without mercy? I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. For the next uh, three Sundays, we are going to take a chapter at a time 
and consider together the book of Habakkuk. And I hope that it will help us to think um, perhaps more confidently and more honestly about the world in which we live and the, and the issues that we face and the, the conflicts that often come our way. The heading is, when the world is against you. Let me try to put the bigger picture first of all, and then we will look more closely at uh, Habakkuk chapter 1. First of all, just to introduce him to you, that uh, apart from this book, we know nothing else about him. We do know, however, that his prophecy comes at that um, period in the life of Israel uh, just before the fall of Jerusalem, which had a devastating effect on God's people. That period between 605 BC and 6 and 856. 586. 586. What we have in this book is not somebody who wants to have an intellectual debate. But actually we have a prophet who is struggling. He's in an emotional turmoil. And what this book does at least gives us a unique insight into his mind, the prophetic mind, but also to help us tonight as, as we should be agonizing often about the world in which we live. So often it's only in our personal crisis that we begin to do this. What we see here is somebody who's got agonized questions about prayer. Is prayer simply auto-suggestion? It's just a nice thing to do. What the prophet does is somebody who engages with the world as he sees it and at the same time seeks God's mind as to what is happening. The phrase that is used increasingly and, and the benchmark for it, in, at least in Western culture, was where was God in 9-11? Where is he? Where was God? So this is not a cold, analytical process that you can have and sit uh, doing your uh, A-levels or GCSEs on uh, religious knowledge. Not simply to have an intellectual debate about the existence of God. It's not, that's not where we're at with Habakkuk. He displays, as you shall see, strong emotion, deep concern. And the depth of his pain comes from Doubt as to why God permits these things to happen. And it's a depth of pain and doubt. And it is within that that he encounters God and hears his word. And hence, the book of Habakkuk is in the Bible. But let's come closer to ourselves. Let's try to get this big picture for a moment. The world of Habakkuk seems the fall of Jerusalem, the big Babylonian empire and so forth, is light years away from us tomorrow morning. Or is it? 
It's a world much like our own today and tonight. We, we too live with violence in our world. Put on the news. Some people do not buy newspapers anymore. It's full of bad news. Bad news sell. Good news doesn't. In many nations, we see a growing underclass of the poor and the powerless. Her Majesty the Queen speaking to the delegates of the Commonwealth in Trinidad this past week said that the impact of global warming will have a bigger consequence on the poor and the impoverished. Let's come a bit nearer. Think about children, women, the old, the vulnerable, those who are exploited and abused in terms of human trafficking. Think about asylum seekers, refugees who are seen as a threat to our shore in Britain. We want our lifestyle. We've worked for it. Unborn children are aborted with no thought of consequence of the intrinsic value of life or the emotional issues and the psychological damage further down the road. Then think about racial tension, so remote from this village, and yet so much a part of uh, Western society with the Islamic dimension and a sense of injustice. By the time this sermon is over, there will be at least, and it's averaged out, uh, a minute every hour, 24 hours a day, Throughout the year, telephone calls that are registered by the police for um, domestic violence. There are children tonight sleeping in the cities of this country and they are safer out on the streets than they are in their own homes. Now, once you start thinking like this, and this is but a tip of the iceberg, it becomes somewhat uncomfortable in this sense to ask if this is our world, which we don't see very often, where is God? Is he a mere spectator? Are we going to humanize him and say, well, he means well, he's doing his best. Doesn't help very much, does it? The question, I suppose, that Habakkuk would put to us is this. If we are sufficiently sensitive, and most of us, myself included, are not, we would want to protest. We would want to cry. Perhaps not for ourselves, but for other people. Where is God? Why doesn't he act? Why doesn't he protect the innocent? Why doesn't he establish justice? Why doesn't he do something? Now, I think those are issues that people reflect and, I guess, come to us from time to time. And this is the book of Habakkuk. Those are the issues that confront us as we try to see the bigger picture. When Habakkuk brings these things to God, this is, this is the surprise. He gets an answer that he didn't bargain for. And instead of the answer from God comforting him, it actually disturbs him even more. Ultimately, let's summarize then, the book of Habakkuk. Please read it through. You'll benefit from it. That ultimately it's not a book about human doubts, however, 
And those questions that I've raised, legitimate though they are, it's about the way in which God moves his purpose forward in this world. And finally, as by way of a summary of the book, it encourages us to see the world now with a different perspective. It's the same world. They're the same issues. The perspective is different. How do you see it? What is your, what is your world view? Sometimes our thinking is very simplistic. God is bigger than our praying and bigger than our thinking. And there is a glimmer of hope, particularly in chapter 214, where it says that there is a time coming when the earth will be filled, filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. And it's very appropriate as we think about Advent. Okay. Here's the introduction. Suppose somebody asks you and says, so you're, you're a Christian. You believe in God. You say yes. And somebody would say to you, so God is all-powerful. He's all-powerful. By definition, then, he could prevent evil and suffering, if that is true. And God, by definition, as it's seen in the Bible, as it's seen at Advent, is all-loving. He sent his Son into the world. Not only he could but he would want to prevent evil and suffering. Okay? Well then, what's the conclusion? The conclusion is this. Evil and suffering exist big time. Therefore, the conclusion, God is impotent. Or, he is loveless. He is totally indifferent to mankind or in reality he doesn't exist at all. That is the sheer logic of most people in Britain today. When people then sometimes say I wish I had your faith you should say to them would you? Because my faith gives me more conflict than your unbelief. What would you write on God's tombstone? Here's the difficulty. From a personal perspective, the well-known, reputed American lawyer, Edward Tabash, who comes from five unbroken generations of Orthodox Jewish rabbis. But the Holocaust claimed the lives of his, two of his family, two prominent members of his family. And it has now turned him publicly, publicly into debating passionately about the existence of God. And he said this in a debate with Christians recently. If the God of the Bible actually exists, I want to sue him for negligence. For negligence for being asleep at the wheel of the universe when my family 
perished in Auschwitz. And another survivor of that Holocaust, from a Jewish perspective, came to this conclusion. Richard Rubinstein said, We stand in a cold, silent, unfeeling cosmos, unaided by any power beyond our own resources. You're on your own. You're on your own. Now, I don't know how you would respond to those statements. Pretty devastating, aren't they? Well, those are some of the, 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 the feelings. I'm trying now not so much to get you to think, but to, but to feel this, to feel it. Because here is emotional drama worked out with the prophet. So let's um, come to a quick outline. The outline is quite simple, really. It's, it's Habakkuk's complaint. If you keep the Bible open in front of you, we make no other uh, cross-references tonight. Just make a comment on one or two verses and then get some applications. Here's his complaint, verses 2 to 4. And it is addressed to God in a tone of moral outrage. God, how can you? How can you? How can you do this? And as it's directed to God, let's just look at the immediate context first of all. It is a complete breakdown of law and order. I don't think we have any concept of that. God forbid that we should ever, ever experience it. In 1994, over half a million Rwandans were massacred in the savage civil war of the Tutsis, the Tutsis and, and the Hutus. And uh, within six weeks, can you imagine now within a country, within six weeks, half a million people slaughtered in mainly with machetes, not necessarily with guns and so forth. And most in churches. Don't you think people would want now? You see that? That's something, isn't it? Where was God? Now, it's tricky asking questions like that, that shakes us out of our own petty little um, lives that when you see it in a bigger picture, what you are doing is beginning to sit where Habakkuk sits, to feel as he feels. And I guess we don't have these emotions often enough. This is his complaint. And so you see in verses 3 and 4, you get these, these, these questions. Verse 2, um, how long, O Lord, must I call to you for help? And you don't listen. God is silent. God's guilty silence. Of violence and you don't save. God is incredibly indifferent. Verse 3. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife, conflicts abound and so forth. So the complaint. Where is God? And even if you say... God doesn't cause this. 
you still would, you, you still have to say, why does he permit it? Why? That's his problem. Now, if that's your problem, and in, I'm almost tempted to say that it ought to be in, in some measure, because this is the world in which we live. That's the complaint. Maybe we don't complain often enough in that context rather than complain too much in the human one, which doesn't amount to very much. We take it to God. Here's his answer, verses 5 to 11. And the first thing that, that comes to us is this, that here is a God who is active, not passive, though it doesn't seem to be like that from our perspective. And the whole point of the, of the book of Habakkuk is it begins to switch. The perspective begins to change. The Lord says, look at the nations and watch. Be utterly amazed. For I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. And now is the, the, this, this exacerbates um, uh, Habakkuk's dilemma. What God is going to do is to raise up the Babylonians a ruthless superpower so that he would fulfill his purpose. God is active, but not in the way you would think. God is holy. And it is not a denial of the holiness of God that he can use unholy people. The great Spurgeon once said in a similar sermon, God can use a crooked stick to draw a straight line. Babylon is warped and twisted, but God's going to use it. And Habakkuk says, God, you are guilty by association. How can you do that? How can you do that? And so you see verses 8 to 11, this answer which doesn't help Habakkuk at all. God however, always keeps his word. We don't. God is faithful to his covenant. We are not. His covenant is secure. But Habakkuk can't see that. He can't see it. Maybe the illustrations that I've used briefly now you say, no, I can't either. I can't. The Babylonians, in verse 6, renowned for their sheer brutality. And God, this holy God, this just God, is going to use them. How can he do that? That's a problem. That is not the answer Habakkuk wanted. How can a God of infinite purity tolerate such duplicity. How can a God be so inconsistent? So in verse 13, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You can't do that. You cannot tolerate wrong. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why? We often ask the why. Keep asking the why. Don't suppress it. Why then do you tolerate uh, the, the treacherous. Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? Why? And from our perspective, often, within our own personal tragedies, we all have them. Why? Why? 
It's interesting, the whole book of Job takes up this, this theme, and uh, it's, it's the, conclude, the conclusion, the summing up of the book that is most helpful. It comes in this way, that God actually was in absolute control in Job's trauma, with all the tragedy and the ill health and so forth. But it didn't seem like it at the time. And you and I then have a choice to make. If it doesn't seem like it, am I going to trust him when I don't understand? Or am I going to go my own way? Job says, the end of the book, I know that you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. But it seemed like it. And Job was in no position to argue. And he says at the end, I, who he was, got into debate and confronted God and challenged him and so forth, says, I am unworthy. How can I reply to you? And then as the book comes to its conclusion, Job says, surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You remember C.S. Lewis in a confirmed bachelor meets the darling of his life and she's struck down with cancer. And he is utterly distraught. Where is God? And this is what he says in his book called The Problem of Pain. It's a big problem, isn't it? God whispers to us in our pleasures when things are good and everything's going fine. Somehow, he's there, but that's all. He's just there. He's a stopgap. He speaks in our conscience, sometimes, maybe in a sermon like this, but shouts in our pain. Shouts in our pain. Pain is his megaphone to rouse a deaf and dying world, or a deaf and dying soul. Pleasures can distance us from God. Pain can make us aware of our need for Him. Let's come to the second complaint, just very quickly, uh, verse 12 through to 2.1. Now this is very revealing. Look at his confession, first of all. This is, this is what Habakkuk believes. This is his faith statement, if you like. Okay, look at verse 12. Lord, are you not from everlasting? Are you not the eternal God? Are you not outside of time? It's giving it a theological spin. My God, my Holy One, we will not die. This is what he believes. He believes that. It's a good thing to believe. O Lord, have you not appointed them to, exec to, to execute judgment? O Rock, have you not ordained them to, to punish? And you are of pure eyes that you cannot look on evil. Well then, you see, if this is the character of God, why? Why is these things, why does he allow these things? That's his confession. If you like, this is what I believe. But now, this is his conflict. Juxtaposed like that. Holding both intention. His confession, what he believes. 
His conflict, how it impacts him. And that's the rest of the chapter. Is God being untrue to his nature? Is God playing games? What we have to do is try to apply it to ourselves today. Who might the modern equivalent of the Babylonians be? Now think outside of your comfort zone, big time. Do you think for a moment, if you really wanted to be shocked, and, and at least have some idea of Habakkuk, that if you were to think in Britain or the West, that Al-Qaeda is going to be the means by which God is going to bring about his glory. Follow that one. And that's nothing to where he's coming from with these Babylonians. You see his dilemma. Massive turmoil. Not just coming to church, singing a few hymns, having a prayer, and everybody goes home happy. But no, you say, how am I going to really become uh, engaged with this God? And how am I going to give an account of myself? The only person in the curry house on Tuesday evening would ask about heaven and hell was a Muslim. That was very interesting. In the open discussion. Maybe Christians don't believe in hell anymore. You see, his conflict. Is God being untrue to his nature? Can God use people like that to further his purpose? And to be a, a wake-up call to the West in our, pro, in our prosperity and our self-indulgence? Or is it too simplistic? Is it too extreme? How do you put it into a framework? Have you got one? I hope this uh, comes up before you. Um, that there is a healthy conflict, a healthy conflict in healthy faith. Healthy conflict in healthy faith. And conversely, there is unhealthy comfort in unhealthy faith. Is it that we just want to be pacified? Here's the interesting thing, the conclusion. Um, just one, one comment to get into the mindset of the people who, are, who have no desire or knowledge of God. It says at the end, uh, in, in chapter 1, verse 11, guilty men whose strength is their God. It's the same thing. Power corrupts, absolute power corrupts, absolutely. That's the nature of man. And power is insatiable, isn't it? whether it's personal or national. And who can restrain it? Habakkuk prays on. That's the point. Now in all of this, he prays on. He keeps praying. In the face of injustice, in the grip of unfairness, and I say to you, 
If you profess to know and love the Lord Jesus, that's what you must do. In the face of injustice, unfairness, maybe in your own personal experience now, certainly the bigger picture, we must pray on. We must trust that God will ultimately vindicate His name and fulfill His purpose. And our prayer ought to be that God would give us grace and courage like Habakkuk to shoulder this prophetic vision which begins as an oracle. The literal word is this. It's a burden. Jesus said, My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Sometimes it's heavy. But it's a burden we can bear. We must. For essentially, we have no alternative. And God who has begun a good work in us, in this time, in this society, with all of its complexities, is the same God, is the same God who brought his people out of captivity, who promised that the root of Jesse would come as a redeemer and a savior. And his canvas is much bigger and greater than ours. And one of the things that Habakkuk wants us to do is get a different perspective. A different perspective. Read it. Work it through. And ask God to speak to you through it.